Right, let's get this done. Did you have breakfast today? No, I woke up and got straight here and then... I was fearing the wrath of Ibrahim, so I was like, <laughs> I gotta get out. And then I was like, let me take the car. And then I remembered last week, I was like, no, 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 Ibrahim's gonna kill me. Let me get to work. I'm cycling this. <laughs> it was dark in the morning. I literally left. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone and welcome to another episode of the IFG News Roundup. Today we have with us a new guest who's kind of replaced Muhammad. It's not Muhammad. So <laughs> let me introduce you guys to one of the IFG crew, Saif Khan. How are you doing, Saif? I'm doing very well. So uh, yeah, my name's Saif Khan, as his is mentioned. So I'm one of the software engineers here. And yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And you know me, I'm Khidr Mohammed, the community lead and our venerable co-founder here, Ibrahim Khan. And we are back for another episode. So let's kick this episode off with some rapid fire questions. You guys ready? I'm ready. Sure. Running or swimming? Swimming, 100%. Boxing or MMA? I don't know. Boxing, I think now. I'm more of an MMA person. Physical books or e-book? Physical book. Same. Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? All right. That concludes the first round. We'll get back to some more rapid fire questions very soon okay now let's kick off with the first story something massive has happened recently a few terabytes massive (laughs) tell us Ibrahim yeah so the Pandora papers have come out and as the name suggests this has opened a can of worms there's 12 million documents that have been released uncovering where billionaires and leaders and high net worths and very influential people have been spending their money and how they've been spending their money as well. So in particular, if they've been avoiding tax and what the links are between different like transactions show links between certain people. So the kind of things that have been uncovered are King Abdullah, the Jordanian king, has secretly amassed a $70 million fortune of property in the USA and the UK. Then you've got the Qatari family. They avoided, I think it was like $18.5 million of tax buying through offshore companies. All of this works. I think this is an important point. The way this works, Muhammad was to buy a property, you'd have to pay stamp duty on it. If the company that held this property was in the Bahamas or wherever, on that company, the buying and selling of that company, there was no tax. Then if you just change the ownership at that level, at the Bahamas, the property is still yours. Nothing's happened to it in the UK. There's no like change of ownership in the UK. So what that means is you avoid the stamp duty. You know, leaders have been taking large fortunes out of their nations. So King Abdullah, Pakistani senior politicians, the Azerbaijan president, these guys have amassed hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, which it seems odd for president to uh, be earning that money. And then I think the third area is that there's been some kind of corruption amongst certain people and then been donating to the Tory party. So there's three big moral questions that have come up. And there's probably more to come out. Like there's what, like several terabytes worth of data that they're pulling out all this information from. And journalists have been actually looking into this stuff for months now, but only now the story, they're like putting all the pieces together. And I think what really riles me up about this is I expect corruption from world leaders in general, so I'm not really surprised there. But what surprises me is that I'm having my national insurance increase, talks of tax increase, talks that we, the average employee, have to bear the brunt of what COVID presented. But meanwhile, we've got people in the high echelons of society. It's no secret. The rich know that everyone's doing this stuff. They're all doing it. Yeah. The brunt of it all falls on us. Our tax gets increased 
But the rich and famous, for them, it's all good. No tax. What do you think, Saif? So you've got several groups here. So the first group of people are essentially people who are avoiding tax. But we know like this has been happening for quite a long time. This is what the fourth set of papers, this Institute of Journalists, over the last five, six years. This has happened again and again and again. And not only just these papers, but we have many companies across the world, a lot of big tech companies who have huge amounts of capital and they avoid tax as well. So this whole kind of tax avoidance by the ultra-rich or the ultra-rich companies has continuously been going on. And what my question would be back to you guys would be, how do you solve this problem? Because it's been going on for quite a while now. It's a good question. I also think, to push back to you firstly, Khidr, yeah. is, and then I guess we can discuss the solution, is that a lot of these people have not done anything wrong. And putting aside corruption, I think that's obviously wrong as well. But the tax avoidance thing, none of these people have done anything illegal or criminal. Yeah. But it feels off. And I get that. If you were the Qatari royal family and you had billions to spend, I don't think you particularly care about paying $18.5 million of tax or not. I think what you care about more is probably your privacy. And that's probably why you've made sure that you do deal at the level of the Bahamas or wherever it was, rather than at the deal of the Qatari sheikh or whoever, Thani or whatever, is now on the land registry as the owner of to Romford Road or something. It's an interesting one because I agree with you. I don't think tax avoidance in and of itself is like anything wrong, nor is it illegal because if it was illegal, then something would have been done about it. Everything can be done about it because, like you said, everything's by the book. I think, again, for the common man, the frustration is the fact that the rich don't have to pay tax when they have the ridiculous amount of money to do so. Or not even the poor, just every man isn't afforded the same kind of or maybe it's that the average man to know how to avoid tax. I don't think it's just the know-how. I think it's also they just don't have the resources or the position in society or business to be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to do something like that because in order to do a structure overseas, it needs to be a multi-million pound transaction for it to even start making sense just because of the fees involved. There's huge pools of capital in these tax havens and we need to make sure that we try and tax them. What's the point of tax? The point of tax is you've got a country and lots of people use these public resources like you know the street lighting and transport and all this sort of thing and that needs to be paid for. And Richard Branson and the president of Azerbaijan and the Qatari, they're all using this stuff and they're all benefiting from it. So they should pay for it, yep. but they're not. So I think from a moral perspective, clear reason why they should. But the problem is implementation. Because if you're saying now we are going to use some way of tracking the wealth of a person overseas, it's very hard to do logistically. I don't really know the answer. I feel like putting pressure on these tax havens could be a potential way. It's a difficult one because if the ultra-rich are buying property, that's their way of generating money and avoiding tax wealth. And then we stop putting pressure on them. Well, they can easily move to another country where mm. they don't have that pressures of tax. And I definitely can understand what Hizzah, you mentioned about the everyday man, that that level of unfairness, but unfortunately it is the way it is. It does seem to be that case. And it's almost like a balancing act because at the same time, these ultra-rich people and companies do bring in a lot of good in the sense that their own services and they do bring in money for the country. If you do put pressure on them, they're going to start moving away from the UK and then ultimately it's going to be to our detriment to the everyday man. I remember a story of I think Google was afforded a huge tax break and Boris Johnson at the time, one of his aides justified it by saying 
this is a time of Brexit, so we want to make sure Google keeps their headquarters in the UK or one of their European headquarters because it brings this amount of jobs. Yeah. And with those jobs, they tax all the employees and the government actually makes more money taxing all the employees than just does from the organization, I think. It's terrible, people. isn't it? And you know, these larger companies, they've got a dedicated HMRC person. So the Amazon, Facebook, Google, all of these larger companies, the banks, they've got a dedicated guy at HMRC who does deals with them. Every year, it's not like a tax bill in your accounts and you send it off to HMRC. This is what we earned 20 billion this year. I know the tax is supposed to be something like 4 billion. It's literally like, what do you say, like two wolves at a table just seeing how they can like divvy up the spoils or whatever. Me as a Muslim, why I kind of, it puts me down a little bit is because I remember all these stories of the Khulafa Rashidun and how they would make sure that literally every single person in the city was catered money for themselves. Like, I still remember the story of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, two pairs of clothes a year and a couple sheep or something like that and a riding animal and some small amount of cash for the family. Good knowledge, that. The funds that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq would give her for groceries and stuff, she would take little bits out every month and save them just so they could afford dessert one time. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, looking at the fact that she was able to do with less, because he was like, what am I going to say to Allah that I was able to take more out? And then meanwhile, you've got these same rulers of Muslim countries who are doing very literally the opposite, amassing huge empires of property, while I'm pretty sure most of these countries as developed and plenty of poor citizens that can benefit from that money. But it's a bit sad, I guess. And I think it's those, as we mentioned very early on, it's those second and third groups of people right? that these papers have shown that unfortunately drying their countries of their resources for their own gain. And I think that's where the real problem lies. That's just disgraceful. That yeah. Is. So Ibrahim, do we have anything coming up on the... Yeah, we do. We've got, inshallah, we'll do a video on the Pandora papers. And there's an article as well that I'm working on exploring how Islam thinks about tax, the rights and wrongs of it. I don't know the answer yet because I've not done my research fully yet. <laughs> So look forward to that, inshallah. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that, inshallah. Let's move to the next round of rapid-fire questions. Okay, sweet lassie or salty lassie? Sweet. sweet. Liverpool Street or Canary Wharf? Black or white? I'm going to change mine to white. Just because there's a colour. Black, maybe. I'm more black here. Facebook or Twitter? Neither. Let's crack on to the next story. So what do you have for us, say? So yeah, Facebook had a very interesting week to play. So I think everyone knows this. Um, <laughs> what happened early on was... Facebook services went down, so their Facebook social media, WhatsApp, Instagram, everything shut down. So nobody could access any of these services. Facebook and all its services just went off the grid in terms of the internet. Every time someone would try to access their services, the internet wouldn't be able to find it. And I think the best way to explain this is that Facebook disconnected themselves from the internet. Now, we don't know if it was due to a human error or software error, but... It was a massive problem because so many businesses, so many people rely on their services. And what's even more interesting is Facebook themselves also rely on these services. On top of what they have for the public, they also use their own servers for internal emails and all these other different tools. And one of the tools they use is security to access their building. So the reason why it took six hours to get back services back online was that people were not even able to enter the Facebook headquarters. Wow. So it's an actual joke of a situation. They managed to solve it at the end. The root cause is still yet to be determined on what happened. What's an interesting thing here is that all these services went down. 
so many people impacted and so many businesses were impacted. And when you see all the billions of users affected, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Like we are quite dependent on Facebook and its services now. Even IFG ourselves, right? We use their services quite often. So yeah. I wanted your thoughts on like how not just IFG and people, but businesses in the whole world have become dependent on these large corporations. I kind of get your thoughts on that. It's crazy. Like Facebook, WhatsApp, I think in particular, yeah. was yeah. bad for everyone. It depends if you can bring across people WhatsApp still live. So you can tell them, look, guys, I'm on Telegram. But if WhatsApp isn't live, then you don't know how to handle that. I think, say, if you make a good point about how dependent we are mm. on these technologies, like Facebook has three, three and a half billion people on there. Two, yeah, it's like 2.7 billion people. So wow. that's nearly like half the world, which is, and certainly most of the world on the internet is on Facebook. That's a huge amount of power, huge amount of responsibility as well. I always think, where are the Muslims in this? If you look at the technologies we use every day, Microsoft, Facebook's technologies, Google, Amazon, and probably Netflix are the big ones that everyone uses at all every day. And I think that's a crying. Leading the charge, owning these companies, why shouldn't we have a WhatsApp, Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or somewhere? And that becomes the go-to that everyone in the world uses. And they are at the center of data, power, information, wealth, creation, and everything. Going back to our dependency on social media, I've always found it a bit crazy how we have this itch that we need to check our phones all the time. And it's an automatic reflex. I find myself doing it a lot. Like mm. anytime I'll sit down, I have no need for checking my phone, but I'll pull it up and just go on WhatsApp or pull it up and go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I stop and I think to myself, why am I doing that? And I think that outage was a good reminder of how you can pretty much get on with your life without these things. And I actually found myself being slightly more productive without them. I mean, WhatsApp was different because I had messaged Ibrahim and he hadn't responded for like three hours. And then I clocked that, okay, something's <laughs> on with Facebook. And I was like, why is he not responding to me? Then I'm like, oh, my message didn't send. Then I was like, okay, something's up. But it's a good point that our productivity levels are so tied with these things. We, we should maybe question ourselves and maybe think about having regular detoxes. That's true, but then our level of dependency extends beyond just the personal. For government, for healthcare, uh, many businesses in India use Facebook as a means to communicate between businesses and customers. So true. when we're talking about that level of dependency, where like its livelihoods are affected, lives are at stake when it comes to Brazil and their healthcare systems, it's not just like dependency on how addicted you are to social media, but much of our lives is like dependent on these big corporations. And I think, Ibrahim, you touched on this early on, where these big corporations have a ridiculous amount of power, number of people using their services and the amount of money that they have. And what's interesting, it brings me over to like the second part of this Facebook story or this drama. As I mentioned, Facebook had a very interesting week. And the actual bigger story is not the actual services going out, but the bigger story really is Facebook had a whistleblower that released a lot of internal documents. Like few of the leaks just go over now is one of them is that certain high level Facebook users, politicians, celebrities were getting preferential treatment. So Facebook, as well as many other social media services, have moderation that takes place. And Facebook has something called cross-check. And essentially these services were tweaked down for certain people. Now, obviously, when it comes to politicians, countries, West, right, democracy, where if you're treating certain politicians over than others, then 
the question of democracy is at stake. And this was one of the things that was discussed just yesterday in a US hearing. Other leaks have shown that Facebook have like this internal research group. They should have shown to the public. And one of the key, key findings is that Instagram is actually detrimental to teenagers. And one of the kind of research points from that specific document was that 32% of women who use Instagram feel ashamed of their bodies because of the impact of Instagram. And that's just a few of the many we've seen. And based upon my research on what happened yesterday, Facebook seemed rattled. Mark Zuckerberg is a bit growled more than what you'd expect. You couldn't get into the office, could he, for a start? <laughs> <laughs> I would be too. So yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on this, just having so much power and all these kind of like these internal leaks now coming out. What are your thoughts on it? Look at the reverse part. What is it? 4.6 or how many billion wiped off the stock market? Yeah, so that's interesting. So 5% got wiped off. But just yesterday, they grew back to 2.2%. I think you're absolutely right. To be honest, a lot of this kind of stuff was like hinted at going on. Like when the Cambridge Analytica scandal was going on, we had certain politicians that were very mouthed in the US, certain president who got to say a lot of stuff that usually a normal person might get banned for saying, or like their post might get restricted. So I'm not surprised by what this whistleblower is actually saying. But at the same time, Facebook have a tough gig, because what are you supposed to ban the US president from your platform? True. You've created this a marketplace or platform for content. Facebook isn't necessarily making people put things that make teenagers feel insecure about themselves, effectively control billions, and also run a business, and then also avoid any accusations of being a big daddy or a big brother and looking after controlling people too much. There's a very fine balance. Definitely a balancing act. Just going back to the point, and although this is a controversial take, we are responsible for what we put out there. And just a lesson, a reminder that we need to take ourselves. It's not the onus of companies to moderate their content. The onus is upon ourselves, first and foremost. Yeah, 100%. And with that, let's move on to the next round of rapid fire questions. Okay. Unfortunately, early bird these days. (laughs) Not for wanting to be, but... (laughs) Kids. Apple or Android? Android. Big Apple fan. Apple. All right, Mac or Windows? Windows. Windows, actually. (laughs) Mac OS needs some improvement. Fair, fair. All right, this I'll give you three options for. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Richard Branson? Jeff Bezos. I'm an Elon Musk fan. Elon Musk, I like his wacky ideas. Bill Gates or Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was an icon. I like Gates more as a person. Yeah. But Steve Jobs had more like an impact, maybe. Okay, let's move on to our next and last story, I should say. So... Something big's been going on in China. The property company known as Evergrande have been kind of the fire pit recently because they owe $300 billion to their investors and various stakeholders, and they're struggling to pay back. We're currently waiting for an announcement of what's going on. And you know, this sounds like it's not a big story. I didn't realize how big of a story it was until I actually looked into it. Basically, the reason this matters is that Evergrande is such a big company in China. If they were to go, it could trigger a global financial crisis. Not only do they create literally hundreds of thousands, probably millions of properties in China, 
but millions of people within China and outside of China have invested in this company, put their life savings towards it, and this will literally impact all of them. Evergrande also works with many, many businesses from design firms and material suppliers to construction firms. And basically, if they go under, before I mention that, I should probably mention they owe money to 171 domestic banks and 121 financial lenders. So basically, if they go under, investor confidence goes, banks are going to increase, banks aren't going to be willing to let, lead into another credit crunch, which will basically stall China's economic growth as well as any other neighboring nations that are tied to China's economic growth. So this can have like global implications. It's quite scary, don't you think, Ibrahim? What it will take away from this? It is scary. Really, all of this makes me think about the structures of our financial system. They're just geared towards having this boom and bust cycle where you have these banks that lend money to each other. They just talk to each other. And the purpose of banks is to make payments, to help us with lending, to do savings and investment, and a little bit of insurance. That's it. They're supposed to be subservient to the wider economy. But in the UK today and across the world, financial sector, it's like twice the size of the GDP of countries sometimes. It's this huge thing. And where is all of this value coming from? There's no real value here. It's just they're trading with each other. What does this have to do with Evergrande? When banks do this, they go bust at some point. Something happens and they go bust because someone has been lending all of this money. It's not your money. Someone else's money is a piece of paper. So they're just shipping it fast and then someone else is left holding the baby. Yeah. And when the music stops, that's when those banks go under. And then you have a bailout from the governments. And that's a big pile of money that comes into the system. Now we're not going to put it into the pre place where they previously put it. They're going to put it in a different place. And the same cycle will repeat itself. You, now you have something else with perhaps you know stocks or whatever it might be, property in the case of China. And at a certain point, the music is going to stop. And again, what is China going to do? I think they're going to bail them out. The reason why there's not enough information right now is because they're frantically in the background trying to fix all of this and make this all go away. And it will probably go away. And who knows what will happen? But then the same thing will repeat itself. You, know, you need to reset the way Islamic way, where you get rid of all this stuff. True, true. Is there a lesson in all of this? I mean, our whole world is built around financially on interest, right? So... Fundamentally, us tackling that problem is a very, very difficult one. One of those things, like a thought exercise, what can you do to fix it? And it's one that I left with no solutions at all. And how do you yeah. change it on a global level? Because every single person on this earth has to abide by this system, which is fundamentally based on interest. On it's funny you mentioned this boom and bust cycle, Ibrahim, as well as this, what you mentioned about interest. Because it reminds me that when the Prophet ﷺ went on the Mi'raj, one of the punishments that he had seen of people was that the one who consumes interest, I believe, like would keep on, is it getting up and falling down? Or something along those lines, I believe. It kind of reminds me of the boom and bust cycle. You get up and you fall down again consistently. And with that, I think we can move on to the final part of our episode today. And that is in other news Part. And this is a new part that we've just kind of divvied up. We're just going to mention some quick fire stories that might interest you that have happened in the past week or so. Ibrahim, do you want to kick us off? Air Wallex is this 
payment technology company. So businesses use to manage multi-currency payments across the world. And they've hit a $4 billion valuation and raised over $200 million in their Series E funding that values the whole thing at $4 billion. And the kind of investors they've got are basically the best in the world. So people like Salesforce Ventures, Sequoia Capital, DST, and lots of others. Pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. So... Another story that might interest you also, PayPal have actually launched this super app that PayPal has been making some moves recently, take more market share in the financial services department. And basically the new version of their app is, has a ton of different features, which include financial tools such as direct deposit, bill pay, a digital wallet, peer-to-peer payments, shopping tools, crypto capabilities, and a lot more. Is that out in the UK as well? Have you checked it out? Or? I don't think it's launched in the UK yet, right. but it is live in many places. I'll check so it out. So I think in the US, definitely. I know some of these capabilities are in the UK, so like their crypto stuff and all that is launched. Their buy now, pay later stuff is also available. I'm sure more is going to be coming soon to the UK. The primary market is the US at the moment. What about you, Safe? So yeah, another tech story for you guys is that there is uh, DeepMind, which is the AI firm under Google, faces legal action over NHS data use. So they have, in 2015, Google's firm DeepMind given personal records of 1.6 million patients at the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust. The law firm handling the case has launched an investigation to address the public concerns about the use of private health data used by these tech firms. DeepMind has not commented yet. And like I said before, right, a lot of these tech companies are growing bigger, getting more, not just... They know our data in terms of our use of products, but now they're getting even more personal, more deeper, knowing about our finances and even our health uh, now. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, and, yeah, we'll see what happens. We should double-click on that in a future episode because I know someone who works at one of these companies. It's not just DeepMind. The NHS sells health data to Big Pharma and everyone Mm -hmm. at a mass scale. And it may not be a bad thing as well, but because it's about drug discovery and all this sort of thing. To be honest, probably to, just to keep the NHS afloat, they need the extra funds. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised there. And well, that is Jazakallah Khairan to both of you and Jazakallah Khairan to Kabzi, our awesome cameraman. And Jazakallah Khairan to all of you listening. Tune in for the next episode in another fortnight. Inshallah, until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.